Welcome to Ratchet Book Club, where we read hood classics and good classics. I'm Derek. 916-633-1537. Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com. Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. Leave a review on Podchaser. Copy and paste that on the Apple Podcast. Copy and paste that onto Good Pods. <laughs> I think we really have to confront what we were. And what we are now. And what we are now isn't always what we were. And that's fine. But we have to confront what we were. Because while I feel absolute fury at bullies, I also have to confront the fact that there were times where I probably was the bully. No, I'm certain of it. There are times where I was the bully. And I have to contend with that. I can make excuses. I was the bully because I was in a group of people who usually bullied me who were bullying somebody else and I was just happy to be left alone. I can make excuses all day long, but it doesn't change the fact that I made somebody else's life a living hell. The difference is when I recognized it, I went back and apologized. I made amends and I swore to never be that person again. And for those of y'all who are listening to this and saying, oh, he did that when he was 12. No. I did it when I was like 32. You're never too old to get bullied. And you're never too old to stop. And you're never too old to make amends. Chapter 31. Stanley angrily dug his shovel in the dirt. He was angry at everyone, Mr. Pendansky, the warden, Zigzag, X-Ray, and his no-good, dirty, rotten, pig-stealing great-great-grandfather. But mostly, he was angry at himself. He knew he never should have let Zero dig part of this hole for him. He still could have taught him to read. If Zero could dig all day and still had the strength to learn, then he should have been able to dig all day and still have the strength to teach. What he should do, he thought, was go out after Zero. But he didn't. None of the others helped him dig Zero's hole, and he didn't expect them to. Zero had been helping him dig his hole. Now he had to dig Zero's. He remained out on the lake, digging during the hottest part of the day, long after everyone else had gone in. He kept an eye out for Zero, but Zero didn't come back. It would have been easy to go out after Zero. There was nobody to stop him. He kept thinking that's what he should do. Maybe they could climb to the top of Big Thumb. If it wasn't too far away. And if it was really the same place where his great-grandfather found refuge. And if, after a hundred years or so, water was still there. It didn't seem likely. Not when an entire lake had gone dry. And even if they did find refuge on Big Thumb, he thought, they'd still have to come back here eventually. Then they'd both have to face the warden and her rattlesnake fingers. Instead, he came up with a better idea, although he didn't have it quite all figured out yet. He thought that maybe he could make a deal with the warden. He'd tell her where he really found the gold tube if she wouldn't scratch zero. He wasn't sure how he'd make this deal without getting himself into deeper trouble. She might just say, tell me where you found it or I'll scratch you too. Plus, it will mean X-Ray would get in trouble too. 
she'd probably scratch him up as well. Extra will be out to get him for the next 16 months. He dug his shovel into the dirt. By the next morning, Zero still hadn't returned. Stanley saw one of the counselors sitting guard by the water spigot outside the shower wall. Mr. Pendanski had two black eyes and a bandage over his nose. Always knew he was stupid, Stanley heard him say. Stanley was required to dig only one hole the next day. As he dug, he kept a constant watch out for Zero, but never saw him. Once again, he considered going out on the lake to look for him, but he began to realize it was already too late. His only hope was that Zero had found God's thumb on his own. It wasn't impossible. His great-grandfather had found it. For some reason, his great-grandfather had felt the urge to climb to the top of that mountain. Maybe Zero would feel the same urge. If it was the same mountain. If the water was still there. He tried to convince himself it wasn't impossible. There had been a storm just a few days ago. Maybe Big Thumb was actually some kind of natural water tower that caught and stored the rain. It wasn't impossible. He returned to his tent to find the warden, Mr. Sir, and Mr. Pendanski all waiting for him. Have you seen Zero? The warden asked him. No. No sign of him at all? No. Do you have any idea where he went? No. You know you're not doing him any favors if you're lying, said Mr. Sir. He can't survive out there for more than a day or two. I don't know where he is. All three stared at Stanley as if they were trying to figure out if he was telling the truth. Mr. Pendansky's face was so swollen, he could barely open his eyes. They were just slits. You sure he has no family? The warden asked Mr. Pendansky. He's a ward of the state, Mrs. Pendansky told her. He was living on the streets when he was arrested. Is there anyone who might ask questions? Some social worker who took an interest in him. He had nobody, Mrs. Pendansky said. He was nobody. The warden thought a moment. Okay, I want you to destroy all of his records. Mrs. Pendansky nodded. He was never here, said the warden. Mr. Sir nodded. Can you get into the state files from our computer? She asked Mr. Pendansky. I don't want anyone in the AG's office to know he was here. I don't think I can erase him completely from all the state files, said Mr. Pendansky. Too many cross-references. But I can make it so it will be very difficult for anyone to ever find a record of him. Like I said, though, no one will ever look. No one cares about Hector Zeroni. Good, said the warden. I just want to point out real quick that it's good that um, Stanley, and I'm, I'm not going to turn him into the phrase caveman, because that's literally, nicknames are not always given in good graces. But Stanley did recognize the wrong that he did. I talked about it in the last uh, episode, and I'm glad that he did that. I'm glad he came to that decision. Um, that's mature of him at a young age to see where he did wrong. Um, and he's making moves to become... They talked all um, 
book long, Louis talked all book long, Louis talked all book long about how uh, Stanley's been getting stronger. You know, as far as digging holes, that his hands are getting tougher, that it's, that it's, he's getting stronger. And they said that his heart had gotten colder as well. Well, now it seems like Stanley's getting stronger again in perception and in empathy and in striving to do the right thing instead of just talking about doing the right thing. A lot of us talk about doing the right thing, but we never actually do the right thing. We just talk about what we should have done. But the cool thing is about it, there's always another chance to do the right thing. So when you talk about what should have been done, then when that time comes back where that same thing's happening again, you should know what to do. At this point, Stanley knows what to do. Chapter 32. Two days later, a new kid was assigned to Group D. His name was Brian, but X-Ray called him Twitch because he was always fidgeting. Twitch was assigned Zero's bed and Zero's crate. Vacancies don't last long at Camp Green Lake. Twitch had been arrested for stealing a car. He claimed he could break into a car, disconnect the alarm, and hotwire the engine, all in less than a minute. I never planned to, you know, steal one, he told him. But sometimes, you know, I'll be walking past a nice car, a real nice car, parked in a deserted area, and, you know, I'll just start twitching. If you think I twitch now, you should see me when I'm around a car. The next thing I know, I'm behind the wheel. Stanley lay on his scratchy sheets. It occurred to him that his cotton no longer smelled bad. He wondered if the smell had gone away or if he had just gotten used to it. Hey, caveman, said Twitch. Do we really have to get up at 4.30? You get used to it, Stanley told him. It's the coolest part of the day. He tried not to think about Zero. It was too late. Either he'd made it to Big Thumb, or... What worried him the most, however, wasn't that it was too late. What worried him the most, what really aided his insides was the fear that it wasn't too late. What if Zero was still alive, desperately crawling across the dirt searching for water? He tried to force the image out of his mind. The next morning, out on the lake, Stanley listened as Mr. Sir told Twitch the requirements for his hole. As wide and as deep as your shovel. Twitch fidgeted. His fingers drummed against the wooden shaft of his shovel and his neck moved from side to side. You won't be twitching so much after digging all day, Mr. Sir told him. You won't have the strength to wiggle your pinky. He popped some sunflower seeds in his mouth, deftly chewed them, and spat out the shells. This isn't a Girl Scout camp. The water truck came shortly after sunrise. Stanley got in line behind Magnet, ahead of Twitch. What if it's not too late? He watched Mr. Sir fill X-Ray's canteen. The image of Zero crawling across the hot, dry dirt remained in his head. But what could he do about it? Even if Zero was somehow alive after more than four days, how would Stanley even find him? It would take days. He'd need a car. Or a pickup truck. A pickup truck with a tank of water in the back. 
Stanley wondered if Mr. Sir had left the keys in the ignition. He slowly backed away from the line, then circled over to the side of the truck. He looked through a window. The keys were there, dangling in the ignition. Stanley felt his fingers start to twitch. He took a deep breath to steady himself and tried to think clearly. He had never driven before. But how hard could it be? This is really crazy, he told himself. Whatever he did, he knew he'd have to do it quickly, before Mr. Sir noticed. It's too late, he told himself. Zero couldn't have survived. But what if it wasn't too late? He took another deep breath. Think about this, he told himself. But there wasn't time to think. He flung open the door to the truck and climbed quickly inside. Hey, shouted Mr. Sir. He turned the key and stepped on the gas pedal. The engine revved. The truck didn't move. He pressed the pedal to the floor. The engine roared, but the truck was motionless. Mr. Sir came running around the side of the truck. The door was still open. Put it in gear, shouted Twitch. The gear shift was on the floor next to the seat. Stanley pulled the lever back until the arrow pointed to the letter D for drive. The truck lurched forward. Stanley jerked back against the seat and tightly gripped the wheel as the truck accelerated. His foot was pressed to the floor. The truck went faster and faster across the dry lake bed. It bounced over a pile of dirt. Suddenly, Stanley was slammed forward. Then instantly backwards, an airbag exploded in his face. He fell out of the open door and onto the ground. He had driven straight into a hole. He lay on the dirt, staring at the truck, was stuck lopsided into the ground. He sighed. He couldn't blame his no-good, dirty, rotten pig stealing great-great-grandfather this time. This time, it was his own fault, 100%. He had probably just done the stupidest thing he had ever done in his short and miserable life. He managed to get to his feet. He was sore, but didn't think he had broken any bones. He glanced back at Mr. Sir, who remained where he was, staring at Stanley. He ran. His canteen was strapped around his neck. It banged against his chest as he ran, and every time it hit against him, it reminded him that it was empty. 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 Chapter 33 He slowed to a walk. As far as he could tell, nobody was chasing him. He could hear voices coming from the back by the truck, but couldn't make out the words. Occasionally, he'd hear the revving of the engine, but the truck wasn't going anywhere anytime soon. He headed in what he thought was the direction of Big Thumb. He couldn't see it through the haze. Walking helped him calm down and allowed him to think clearly. He doubted he could make it to Big Thumb, and with no water in his canteen, he didn't want to risk his life on the hope that he'd find refuge there. He'd have to return to camp. He knew that. But he was in no hurry. It would be better to return later, after everyone had a chance to calm down. And as long as he'd come this far, he might as well look for Zero. He decided he'd walk as long as he could, until he was too weak to go any farther. Then he'd turn around and go back. He smiled as he realized that wouldn't quite work. He'd only go halfway. Halfway as far as he thought he could go, so that he still had the strength to come back. 
Then he'd have to make a deal with the warden. Tell her where he found Kate Barlow's lipstick tube and beg for mercy. He was surprised by how far out the hold extended. He couldn't even see the camp compound anymore, but he still kept passing holes. Just when he thought he'd passed the last hole, he'd come across another cluster of them, just a little farther away. Back at the compound, they dug in a systematic order, row upon row, allowing space for the water truck. But out here, there was no system. It was as if every once in a while, in a fit of frustration, the warden would just pick a spot at random and say, What the hell? Dig here. It was like trying to guess the winning numbers in the lottery. Stanley found himself looking down into each hole he passed. He didn't admit to himself what he was looking for. After more than an hour had gone past, he thought he had surely seen the last hole. But then off to the left, he saw another cluster of them. He didn't actually see the holes. He saw the mounds of dirt that surrounded them. He stepped over the mounds and looked into the first hole. His heart stopped. Down at the bottom was a family of yellow spotted lizards. Their large red eyes looked up at him. He leapt back over the mound and ran. He didn't know if they were chasing him. He thought he might have seen one leap out of the hole. He ran until he couldn't run any farther, then collapsed. They hadn't come after him. He sat there a while and caught his breath. As he got back to his feet, he thought he noticed something on the ground, maybe 50 yards away. It didn't look like much, maybe just a big rock. But in a land of nothingness, any little thing seemed unusual. He walked towards it slowly. The encounter with the lizards had made him very cautious. It turned out to be an empty sack of sunflower seeds. He wondered if it was the same one Magnet had stolen from Mr. Sir, although that didn't seem likely. He turned it inside out and found one seed stuck to the burlap. Lunch. Chapter 34 The sun was almost directly overhead. He figured he could walk for no more than another hour, maybe two, before he had to turn back. It seemed pointless. He could see that there was nothing ahead of him, nothing but emptiness. He was hot, tired, hungry, and most of all, thirsty. Maybe he should just turn around now. Maybe he had already gone halfway and didn't know it. Then, looking around, he saw a pool of water less than a hundred yards away from where he stood. He closed his eyes and opened them to make sure he wasn't imagining it. The pool was still there. He hurried towards it. The pool hurried away from him, moving as he moved, stopping when he stopped. There wasn't any water. It was a mirage caused by the shimmering waves of heat rising off the dry ground. He kept walking. He still carried the empty sack of sunflower seeds. He didn't know if he might find something to put in it. After a while, he thought he could make out the shape of mountains through the haze. At first, he wasn't sure if this was another kind of mirage, but the farther he walked, the clearer they came into view. Almost straight ahead of him, he could see what looked like a fist, with his thumb sticking up. He didn't know how far away it was. Five miles? Fifty miles? One thing was certain. 
it was more than halfway. He kept walking towards it, although he didn't know why. He knew he'd have to turn around before he got there. But every time he looked at it, it seemed to encourage him, giving him the thumbs up sign. As he continued walking, he became aware of a large object on the lake. He couldn't tell what it was, or even if it was natural or man-made. It looked a little like a fallen tree, although that didn't seem likely that a tree would grow here. More likely, it was a ridge of dirt or rocks. The object, whatever it was, was not on the way to Big Thumb but off to the right. He tried to decide whether to go to it or continue towards Big Thumb. Or maybe just turn around. There was no point in heading towards Big Thumb, he decided. He would never make it. For all he knew, it was like chasing the moon. But he could make it to the mysterious object. He changed directions. He doubted it was anything, but the fact that there was something in the middle of all this nothing made it hard for him to pass it up. He decided to make the object his halfway point, and he hoped he hadn't already gone too far. He laughed to himself when he saw what it was. It was a boat, or part of a boat anyway. It struck him as funny to see a boat in the middle of this dry and barren wasteland. But after all, he realized, this was once a lake. The boat lay upside down, half buried in the dirt. Someone may have drowned here, he thought grimly, at the same spot where he very well could die of thirst. The name of the boat had been painted on the back. The upside down red letters were peeled and faded, but Stanley could still read the name. Mary Lou. On one side of the boat, there was a pile of dirt and then a tunnel leading down below the boat. The tunnel looked big enough for a good-sized animal to crawl through. He heard a noise. Something stirred under the boat. It was coming out. Hey! Stanley shouted, hoping to scare it back inside. His mouth was very dry, and it was hard to shout very loudly. Hey! The thing answered weakly. Then a dark hand in an orange sleeve reached up out of the tunnel. Chapter 35 Zero's face looked like a jack-o'-lantern that had been left out too many days past Halloween. Half rotten, with sunken eyes and a drooping smile. Is that water? he asked. His voice was weak and raspy. His lips were so pale they were almost white. And his tongue seemed to flop round uselessly in his mouth as he spoke as if it kept getting in the way. It's empty, said Stanley. He stared at Zero, not quite believing that he was real. I tried to bring the whole water truck, but he smiled sheepishly. I drove it into a hole. I can't believe you're... Me neither, said Zero. Come on, we gotta get back to camp. Zero shook his head. I'm not going back. You have to. We both have to. You want some sploosh? Zero asked. What? Zero shaded his eyes with his forearm. It's cooler under the boat, he said. Stanley watched Zero crawl back through his hole. It was a miracle he was still alive, but Stanley knew he would have to get him back to camp soon, even if he had to carry him. He crawled after him, 
and was just able to squeeze his body through the hole. He never would have fit when he first came to Camp Green Lake. He lost a lot of weight. As he pulled himself through, his leg struck something sharp and hard. It was a shovel. For a second, Stanley wondered how it got there, but then remembered the zero had taken it with him after striking Mr. Pendansky. It was cooler under the boat, which was half buried in the dirt. There was enough cracks and holes in the bottom of the boat, now the roof, to provide light and ventilation. He could see empty jars scattered about. Zero held a jar in his hand and grunted as he tried to unscrew the lid. What is it? Sploosh. His voice was strained as he worked on the jar. That's what I call it. They were buried under the boat. He still couldn't get the lid off. I found 16 jars. Here, hand me the shovel. Stanley didn't have a lot of room to move. He reached behind him, grabbed the wooden end of the shovel, and held it out to Zero, blade first. Sometimes you just have to, Zero said, and then he hit the jar against the blade of the shovel, breaking the top of the jar clean off. He quickly brought the jar to his mouth and licked the sploosh off the jagged edges before it spilled. Careful, Stanley warned. Zero picked up the cracked lid and licked the sploosh off that as well. Then he handed the broken jar to Stanley. Drink some. Stanley held it in his hand and stared at it for a moment. He was afraid of the broken glass. He was also afraid of the sploosh. It looked like mud. Whatever it was, he realized, it must have been in the boat when the boat sank. That meant it was probably over a hundred years old. Who knew what kind of bacteria might be living in it? It's good, said Zero, encouraging him. He wondered if Zero had ever heard of bacteria. He raised the jar to his mouth and carefully took a sip. It was a warm, bubbly, mushy nectar. Sweet and tangy. It felt like heaven as it flowed over his dry mouth and down his parched throat. He thought it might have been some kind of fruit at some time. Perhaps peaches. Zero smiled at him. I told you it was good. Stanley didn't want to drink too much, but it was too good to resist. They passed the jar back and forth until it was empty. How many are left? he asked. None said Zero. Stanley's mouth dropped. Now I have to take you back, he said. I'm not digging any more holes, said Zero. They won't make you dig, Stanley promised. They'll probably send you to a hospital, like Barf Bag. Barf Bag stepped on a rattlesnake, said Zero. Stanley remembered how he'd almost done the same. I guess he didn't hear the rattle. He did it on purpose, said Zero. You think? He took off the shoe and sock first. Stanley shivered as he tried to imagine it. What's Marialuohu? Asked Zero. What? Zero concentrated hard. Marialuohu. Oh, who? I have no idea. I'll show you, said Zero. 
He crawled back out from under the boat. Stanley followed. Back outside, he had to shield his eyes from the brightness. Zero walked around to the back of the boat and pointed to the upside down letters. Mmm, are ya? L-O-U. Stanley smiled. Mary Lou. It's the name of the boat. Mary Lou, Zero repeated, studying the letters. I thought why made the ya sound. It does, said Stanley, but not when it's at the end of the word. Sometimes Y is a vowel, and sometimes it's a consonant. Zero suddenly groaned. He grabbed his stomach and bent over. Are you all right? Zero dropped to the ground. He lay on his side with his knees pulled up to his chest. He continued to groan. Stanley watched helplessly. He wondered if it was a sploosh. He looked back towards Camp Green Lake. At least he thought it was the direction to Camp Green Lake. He wasn't entirely sure. Zero stopped moaning, and his body slowly unbent. I'm taking you back, said Stanley. Zero managed to sit up. He took several deep breaths. Look, I got a plan so you won't get in trouble, Stanley assured him. Remember when I found the gold tube? Remember, I gave it to X-Ray, and the warden went crazy making us dig where she thought X-Ray found it. I think if I tell the warden where I really found it, I think she'll let us off. I'm not going back, said Zero. You've got nowhere else to go, said Stanley. Zero said nothing. You'll die out here, said Stanley. Then I'll die out here. Stanley didn't know what to do. He had come to rescue Zero and instead drank the last of his sploosh. He looked off into the distance. I want you to look at something. I'm not. I just want you to look at that mountain up there. See the one that has something sticking up out of it? Yeah, I think. What does it look like to you? Does it look like anything? Zero said nothing. But as he studied the mountain... His right hand slowly formed into a fist. He raised his thumb. His eyes went from the mountain to his hand, then back to the mountain. Chapter 36 They put four of the unbroken jars into the burlap sack, in case they might be able to use them. Stanley carried the sack. Zero held the shovel. I shall warn you, Stanley said. I'm not exactly the luckiest guy in the world. Zero wasn't worried. When you spend your whole life living in a hole, he said, the only way you can go is up. They gave each other the thumbs up sign, then headed out. It was the hottest part of the day. Stanley's empty, empty, empty canteen was still strapped around his neck. He thought back to the water truck and wished he'd at least stopped and filled his canteen before running off. They hadn't gone very far before Zero had another attack. He clutched his stomach as he let himself fall to the ground. Stanley could only wait for it to pass. The sploosh had saved Zero's life, but it was now destroying him from the inside. He wondered how long it would be before he, too, felt the effects. He looked at Big Thumb. It didn't seem any closer than when they first started out. Zero took a deep breath and managed to sit up. 
Can you walk? Stanley asked him. Just give me a second, Zero said. He took another breath, then using the shovel, pulled himself back to his feet. He gave Stanley the thumbs up sign, and they continued. Sometimes Stanley would try and go for a long while without looking at Big Thumb. He'd make a mental snapshot of how it looked, then wait maybe 10 minutes before looking at it again, to see if it seemed closer. It never did. It was like chasing the moon. And if they ever reached it, he realized, then they'd still have to climb it. I wonder who she was, said Zero. Who? Mary Lou, said Zero. Stanley smiled. I guess she was once a real person on a real lake. It's hard to imagine. I bet she was pretty, said Zero. Someone must have loved her a lot to name a boat after her. Yeah, said Stanley. I bet she looked great in a bathing suit, sitting in the boat while her boyfriend rowed. Zero used the shovel as a third leg. Two legs weren't enough to keep him up. I gotta stop and rest, he said after a while. Stanley looked at Big Thumb. It still didn't look any closer. He was afraid as Zero stopped, he might never get started again. We're almost there, he said. He wondered which was closer, Camp Green Lake or Big Thumb. I really have to sit down. Just see if you can go a little. Zero collapsed. The shovel stayed up a fraction of a second longer perfectly balanced on the tip of the blade, and then it fell next to him. Zero knelt, bent over with his head on the ground. Stanley could hear a very low moaning sound coming from him. He looked at the shovel and couldn't help but think that he might need it to dig a grave. Zero's last hole. And who will dig a grave for me, he thought. But Zero did get up, once again flashing thumbs up. Give me some words, he said weakly. It took Stanley a few seconds to realize what he meant. Then he smiled and said, R-U-N. Zero sounded it out to himself. R-U-N. Run. Run. Good. F-U-N. F-U-N. The spelling seemed to help Zero. It gave him something to concentrate on besides his pain and weakness. It distracted Stanley as well. The next time he looked up at Big Thumb, it really did seem closer. They quit spelling words when it hurt too much to talk. Stanley's throat was dry. He was weak and exhausted, yet as bad as he felt, he knew Zero felt ten times worse. As long as Zero could keep going, he could keep going too. It was possible, he thought, he hoped, that he didn't get any of the bad bacteria. Zero hadn't been able to unscrew the lid. Maybe the bad germs couldn't get in either. Maybe the bacteria were only in the jars which opened easily, the ones he was now carrying in his sack. What scared Stanley the most about dying wasn't his actual death. He figured he could handle the pain. It wouldn't be much worse than what he felt now. In fact... Maybe at the moment of his death, he would be too weak to feel pain. Death would be a relief. What worried him the most was the thought of his parents not knowing what happened to him. Not knowing whether he was dead or alive. He hated to imagine what it would be like for his mother and father, day after day, 
month after month, not knowing, living on false hope. For him, at least, it will be over. For his parents, the pain would never end. He wondered if the warden would send out a search party to look for him. It didn't seem likely. She didn't send anyone to look for Zero. But no one cared about Zero. They simply destroyed his files. But Stanley had a family. She couldn't pretend he was never there. He wondered what she would tell them. And when. What do you think's up there? Zero asked. Stanley looked at the top of Big Thumb. Oh, probably an Italian restaurant, he said. Zero managed to laugh. I think I'll get a pepperoni pizza and a large root beer, said Stanley. I want an ice cream sundae, said Zero, with nuts and whipped cream and bananas and hot fudge. The sun was almost directly in front of him. The thumb pointed up towards it. I, and it's just me, jumping in real quick, real quick, I promise. I don't know what it is about it, but root beer does feel like the official soda of pizza. Like it just goes together. Like if you get a nice mug root beer, not a mug of root beer, but a mug root beer, cold, like frosty cold, with a slice of Supreme pizza, that's everything. Also, I'm on a diet. So you can tell that I'm like salivating right now. They came to the end of the lake. Huge white stone cliffs rose up before them. Unlike the eastern shore where Camp Green Lake was situated, the western shore did not slope down gradually. It was as if they had been walking across the flat bottom of a giant frying pan. And now they had to somehow climb up out of it. They could no longer see Big Thumb. The cliffs blocked their view. The cliffs also blocked out the sun. Zero groaned and clutched his stomach, but he remained standing. I'm all right, he whispered. Stanley saw a rut, about a foot wide and six inches deep, running down a cliff. On either side of the rut were a series of ledges. Let's try there, he said. It looked to be about a 50-foot climb, straight up. Stanley still managed to hold the sack of jars in his left hand as he slowly moved up, from ledge to ledge, crisscrossing the rut. At times, he had to make use of the side of the rut for support in order to make it to the next ledge. Zero stayed with him somehow. His frail body trembled terribly as he climbed the stone wall. Some of the ledges were wide enough to sit on. Others stuck out no more than a few inches, just enough for a quick step. Stanley stopped about two-thirds of the way up on a fairly wide ledge. Zero came up alongside him. You okay? Stanley asked. Zero gave the thumbs up sign. Stanley did the same. He looked above him. He wasn't sure how he'd get to the next ledge. It was three or four feet above his head and he didn't see any footholds. He was afraid to look down. Give me a boost, said Zero. Then I'll pull you up with the shovel. You won't be able to pull me up, said Stanley. Yes, I will, said Zero. Stanley cupped his hands together, and Zero stepped on his interwoven fingers. 
He was able to lift Zero high enough for him to grab the protruding slab of rock. Stanley continued to help him from below as Zero pulled himself onto the ledge. While Zero was getting himself situated up there, Stanley attached the sack to the shovel by poking a hole through the burlap. He held it up to Zero. Zero first grabbed hold of the sack, then the shovel. He set the shovel so that half of the blade was supported by the rock slab. The wooden shaft hung down towards Stanley. Okay, he said. Stanley doubted this would work. It was one thing for him to lift Zero, who was half of his weight. It was quite another for Zero to try and pull him up. Stanley grabbed hold of the shovel as he climbed up the rock wall, using the sides of the rut to help support him. His hands moved one over the other, up the shaft of the shovel. He felt Zero's hand clasp his wrist. He let go of the shaft with one hand and grabbed the top of the ledge. He gathered his strength and for a brief second seemed to defy gravity as he took a quick step up the wall and, with Zero's help, pulled himself the rest of the way over the ledge. He caught his breath. There was no way he could have done that a few months ago. He noticed a large spot of blood on his wrist. It took him a moment to realize that it was Zero's blood. Zero had deep gashes in both hands. He had held on to the metal blade of the shovel, keeping it in place as Stanley climbed. Zero brought his hands to his mouth and sucked up his blood. One of the glass jars had broken in the sack. They decided to save the pieces. They might need to make a knife or something. They rested briefly, then continued on up. It was a fairly easy climb the rest of the way. When they reached flat ground... Stanley looked up to see the sun, a fiery ball balancing on top of Big Thumb. God was twirling a basketball. Soon, they were walking in a long, thin shadow of the thumb. Chapter 37 We're almost there, said Stanley. He could see the base of the mountain. Now that they were really almost there, it scared him. Big Thumb was his only hope. If there was no water, no refuge, then they'd have nothing, not even hope. There was no exact place where the flat land stopped and the mountain began. The ground got steeper and steeper, and then there was no doubt that they were heading up the mountain. Stanley could no longer see Big Thumb. The slope of the mountain was in the way. It became too steep to go straight up. Instead, they zigzagged back and forth increasing their altitude by small increments every time they changed direction. Patches of weeds dotted the mountainside. They walked from one patch to another, using the weeds as footholds. As they got higher, the weeds got thicker. Many had thorns, and they had to be careful walking through them. Stanley would have liked to stop and rest, but he was afraid they'd never get started again. As long as Zero kept going, he could keep going too. Besides, he knew they didn't have much daylight left. As the sky darkened, bugs began appearing above the weed patches. A swarm of gnats hovered around them, attracted by their sweat. Neither Stanley nor Zero had the strength to try and swat at them. How are you doing? Stanley asked. Zero pointed, thumbs up. 
Then he said, if a gnat lands on me, it will knock me over. Stanley gave him some more words. B-U-G-S, he spelled. Zero concentrated hard, then said, Boogs. Stanley laughed. A wide smile spread across Zero's sick and weary face as well. Bugs, he said. Good, said Stanley. Remember, it's a short U if there's no E at the end. Okay, here's a hard one. How about L-U-N-C-H? L- Suddenly, Zero made a horrible, wrenching noise as he doubled up over and grabbed his stomach. His frail body shook violently, and he threw up, emptying his stomach at a sploosh. He leaned on his knees and took several deep breaths. Then he straightened up and continued going. The swarm of gnats stayed behind, preferring the contents of Zero's stomach to the sweat on the boys' faces. Stanley didn't give him any more words, thinking that he needed to save his strength. But about 10 or 15 minutes later, Zero said, Lunch. As they climbed higher, the patch of the weeds grew thicker, and they had to be careful not to get their feet tangled in thorny vines. Stanley suddenly realized something. There hadn't been any weeds on the lake. Weed and bugs, he said. There's got to be water around somewhere. We must be getting close. A wide clown-like smile spread across Zero's face. He flashed a thumbs up sign, then fell. He didn't get up. Stanley bent over him. Come on, Zero, he urged. We're getting close. Come on, Hector. Weed and bugs. Weed and boogs. Stanley shook him. I've already ordered your hot fudge sundae, he said. They're making it right now. Zero said nothing. 916-633-1537. Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com. Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. Leave a review on Podchaser. You can leave a review for this episode or the show as a whole. Copy and paste that review on Apple Podcasts. Copy and paste that review onto Good Pods. You can donate to the show at uh, patreon.com slash single simulcast. There you'll get exclusive content. Um, you can donate to the show at buymeacoffee.com slash sscast. You won't get an exclusive content there yet. So sooner or later. And after you uh, donate or after you put it down on Good Pods, you can donate there by um, going to our tip jar. Thank you all so much for listening. I do greatly appreciate it. I greatly love this book. Y'all be good. I'm going to holler at you later. Peace. and outro to Ratchet Book Club is by That Kid Garan and it's called Goodbyes.
you can email him at tkgbeats94 at gmail.com for more information on how to lease this beat. This is Single Simulcast. Don't know by now that you slipped.